Hi there. You are listening to a message recorded by High Point Life. To listen to more messages and to find out more about our church, head over to our website at highpointlife.com. Well, this morning um, is Palm Sunday. So we've always been looking at Palm Sunday, right? Uh, every, every, every year at this time. Uh, and we'll talk about the donkey, we'll talk about uh, the Lord riding into Jerusalem and all that it signifies. Now, as Christians, we are well aware of the incident, Jesus coming into Jerusalem. It's called the triumphal entry. But you know, that's because we have been taught that way, and that is the way the Bible talks about it as well. But the world looks at this whole incident differently. I remember those of you who sat with me through uh, my session on pluralism, and when I taught, when I was doing atheism, for example, and there was this clip, there was this man, <laughs> Indian guru, who said Jesus must have been the most disillusioned man at the end of his ministry. And I, and, and you know, that's how the world looked at it. Because the world sees Jesus going into Jerusalem, everybody was cheering him, but they said he never knew what was going to happen. That he was walking right into a trap, that he became a victim of circumstances, that he did so much of good, and yet the people to whom he blessed were the same people that turned against him. And, and he must have been the most disillusioned man at the end of his life. And you know, Years ago, in 1973, there was a new genre of musical that came out in Broadway, uh, and, and um, written by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, Jesus Christ Superstar took the musical world by storm because it was a new genre, a rock opera. And you would see the secular take of what people feel, the, the secularists feel, Jesus would have gone through. The musical was very, very well written. The music was amazing. All right? But the theology was completely off. Jesus was portrayed and painted as somebody who was a man who had very good intentions. And then at the end of his life, he saw everything he hoped for slip away. And he, be, he was a disillusioned man and a broken man. Now we look at Scripture and we know that is not true. This was a story written, Jesus Christ Superstar was written by somebody who does not know the Lord Jesus. Who has not fully read the Bible and allowed the Bible to speak. The Jesus revealed to us in scriptures was one that is so different than what was portrayed in that movie. This morning, I just want to share with you three things. What was so different about Jesus than the one that the secularists um, talk about? Number one, Jesus was focused not frazzled. He wasn't somebody that went around thinking, oh no, why is this unraveling? Why is this happening? Uh, he was never like that. He was always calm and collected. You never read about Jesus 
looking disturbed or looking frazzled or, 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 or you know, uh, uh, looking confused. He was never like that. Even while he was coming into Jerusalem, and we read about it this morning, as he was coming into Jerusalem and people were laying down their, their robes and their cloaks and they were waving palm branches in the air, Jesus knew exactly what was happening. He knew that he was going into Jerusalem and things were set up to trap him. He knew all of that. You read through Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20. Let's look at that. This was before he came into Jerusalem, right? Before he sat on the donkey. Chapter 20, verses 17 to 19, and he tells his disciples, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. Listen, he said, we are going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip and crucified. <coughs> but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Does that sound like somebody who was surprised at what was going to happen? This was before he went into Jerusalem. He said, I have to go to Jerusalem and these are the things that will happen to me. He already knew. And then later in the same chapter, verse 28, he tells his disciples, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, church, Jesus knew his mission. Isaiah chapter 50 states that he was clear over God's purpose, that God gave me understanding of his will. There was a prophetic uh, chapter that Isaiah penned in chapter 50. All right? And, uh, and he says that he is focused on fulfilling God's purpose. The servant, God's chosen servant, was focused on fulfilling God's purpose for him and God's will for him. And therefore, Isaiah writes, the servant of God, that is Jesus Christ, he set his face like a stone, determined to do his will. What does that mean? It means that he was super focused on what he was going to do, that nothing detracted him, nothing distracted him, nothing frazzled him. He knew exactly what he wanted to do and what he was meant to do. Isaiah 53 says this, Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his trouble were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This was written prophetically. Hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. And the Lord Jesus knew the scriptures, so he knew this was going to happen. So it wasn't that he was a victim of circumstances. We, Jesus knew why right from the beginning. 
He came to give his life as a ransom for many. It was Jesus who said that. So it wasn't like Jesus was completely, uh, completely clueless about why he had to face the trials and the persecution that he faced. Jesus was never clueless. He always knew. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to say is this, that Jesus was confident. He wasn't confused. We see this happening after he comes into Jerusalem, and then the plot was hatched, and Judas betrays Jesus. The soldiers arrest Jesus and bring him to the high priest, uh, to the religious leaders, and there they started to accuse him. And then they brought Jesus before them, and they began to interrogate him and question him. And the Bible tells us in Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, even as they start to mock him and all of that, Jesus was silent and made no reply. And the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And then finally Jesus opens his mouth and Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the Bible says the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror. Now, reading the Greek uh, and the translation from the Greek doesn't really capture this. But I highlighted the words, I am for you. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus says, I am. The words he used, I am, was the same words that God I used to identify himself when Moses asked, who are you? At the burning bush. Same words. It is not our ordinary, yes, I am. No, no, no. This was the same words that God used to identify himself from the burning bush when Moses asked, who are you? Those are the actual words, the original words. And so when the, the, the chief priest asked him, are you? the one who's called the Messiah, Jesus used the word to show that he's really more than just the Messiah. I am. And that horrified the high priest and he tore his clothes. Jesus knew. He was confident. He knew who he was. He knew who he was. These people are not going to scare me. These people are not going to, you know, uh, these people are not going to bully me into submission to their cause. I know who I am. And then they bring him before Pilate and they tell Pilate, this man claims to be the son of God. You have to put him to death. You have to, it's, it's against our law. And Pilate, Pilate begins to interrogate Jesus. And then Pilate sends him 
to King Herod. King Herod sends him back to Pilate. There was a ding-dong going on because nobody knew what to do with Jesus. When they questioned him, Jesus never hesitated. Either Jesus kept quiet because he knew that this wasn't getting anywhere. They were not really wanting, asking these questions to know. They were just asking these questions to trap him. So Jesus either kept quiet or finally when he thought that they should know the truth, he spoke and he spoke with conviction. Jesus was always aware of who he was. He was also aware of why he was there and what his mission was. So he knew the who, he knew the why, he knew the what. He was secure in that, in that, in the face of persecution. And so, he wasn't confused. He didn't say, I, I know that's what you heard, but that's not what I meant, no. He used a stronger word, I am. This is who I am. The third thing is this, that Jesus was a victor, not a victim. Hollywood, the secularists, would constant, will constantly continue to paint the picture of a Jesus that was a victim of circumstance. That he had no control over what was going on. He meant well, but in the end, he was a victim. He was an innocent man, but a victim of circumstance. Jesus was not a victim of circumstance. What happened to Jesus was planned from even before the world began. Everything went according to plan. Jesus said in Matthew 26, As you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. At that time, same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed for the people may riot. They, the plan was hatched. They were going to catch Jesus. But Jesus already knew, and he already told his disciples, this is going to happen. So he says, so don't be afraid. This has been God's plan all the while. I'm here to ransom. I'm here to save people. He said that to Nicodemus also. The Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That has been the plan all the while. And of course, Jesus being a Jew, and also, of course, he, he was the one with... I mean, he was God, and he implemented things in the old covenant, regulations, how to come to God. There was this whole thing about taking a lamb that was unblemished and to sacrifice that lamb for the sins of the people. All these things happened in the old covenant. Jesus knew that he was the one who was, that lamb represented him. Jesus knew that. And this is what they would do. All right. Once a year, these this, the families would come to Jerusalem and they would bring a lamb that is unspotted, unblemished. 
they would present the lamb at the temple to the high priest. And the priests will then, they would check the lamb. Check the lamb for blemish. If there's any wound or if the, or the wool is not pure white, that lamb would be rejected. So the priests, they would inspect the lamb thoroughly. And once they are satisfied, all right, that the lamb is unblemished, they would put a name over the lamb, the name of the family, of the person who brought the lamb. They would put that name over the lamb. And then the priest would lay their hands on the lamb and he would confess the sins of the, of the man, of the family. And then they would kill the lamb as an offering and sprinkle the blood on the altar to make atonement. And these are things that Jesus knew. And Jesus knew what this lamb represented, this unblemished lamb. The Bible tells us in Colossians 2.17 that these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. That all those things that happen, bringing that lamb, that lamb being inspected thoroughly, pronounced unblemished, having the name put over the lamb, to say that this lamb belongs to this family, this unblemished lamb, ready for sacrifice. And then the sacrificing of that lamb. This Jesus knew were a shadow of things to come that he would be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The reality, Paul writes it to the Colossians, that those were the shadow of things to come. The reality is found in Christ. John the Baptist, the moment he laid eyes on Jesus, he knew. And he said that. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then this trial takes place, this farcical trial. Jesus was sent to and fro, as I said. Pilate, the chief priests, religious leaders, King Herod, back to Pilate. And they were questioning him. Now listen, so this was what was happening a shadow of things to come, the reality is found in Christ. Here, they are interrogating Jesus. Interrogation, interrogation. Trying to trap him. Trying to get him to say something that would incriminate him. They were trying to get him. Alright? They were inspecting him. The shadow of things to come, the priest was inspecting the lamb. Looking for blemish looking for something that would disqualify this lamb. The lamb of God was being inspected by the priests, by people there. And what was the result? The result was finally, Pilate brings Jesus to the people and Pilate said this, next slide please. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. 
Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. And so finally, what Pilate did was, he brings Jesus before him. Look, he has done nothing wrong. I've inspected him thoroughly. He is, there's nothing wrong with him. Even King Herod had nothing on him. But the people still wanted Jesus dead. And so finally, Pilate washes his hands. And he says, I am innocent of this man's blood. You take him. A shadow of things to come. The lamb fit for sacrifice had to be unblemished after a thorough inspection. The lamb of God was thoroughly inspected and pronounced unblemished, okay? Innocent. A shadow of things to come. And then what happens? Pilate tries one more last thing to try and get Jesus free. Pilate brings Jesus out to the people and said, every time at Passover, I can release one prisoner. Look, there is this man, Barabbas. Next slide. There's this man, Barabbas. He's an insurrectionist and a murderer. Obviously deserving the death penalty. Obviously deserving because he murdered, some, murdered people. Obvious. So, Pilate asks, who shall I release? Jesus, whom I found innocent, or this man Barabbas, who is obviously somebody deserving of death. And the people screamed, release unto us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. <coughs> that was Pilate's last trump card. I can release this man and get Jesus set free. I can get, because I'm sure they would choose Jesus over this man. But they chose Barabbas. So Pilate finally had to release Jesus to be crucified. Now, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. Because for me, this is important to show that Jesus was never a victim, but a victor. It was always God's plan that God pens the minutest details of his plans, and his plans come to fulfillment and come to pass, and it's very, very exciting to see. Who was Barabbas? Now, whatever Barabbas did, the name Barabbas means son of a father. That's the meaning of the name Barabbas, son of a father. So, the son of a father on one side, the son of the father on the other side. And so what happened was this. There was an exchange that takes place. The son of the father took the place, the son of the father took the place of the son of a father. The son of the father took the place of the sons and daughters of earthly fathers. That was the exchange that took place. Again, 
Is this a coincidence? Nah. God's plan. This, even this little detail about this person, Barabbas, whose life was spared by the innocent Lamb of God. Because the innocent Lamb of God, the innocent Lamb of God, the unblemished Lamb of God had to be sacrificed for the release of the Son of a Father. That tells us the story already. Was Jesus a victim? No. He wasn't. It was all going according to divine plan. Hallelujah! Come on, church. I, I mean, when I look at these things and I see the plan of salvation, what God, how God worked everything out, it just amazes me. John 19. And again, Hollywood and everything else would, would take, would paint the picture of a Jesus who was at his, on his last legs, feeling weary and tired and feeling like, this is not worth it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you heard the song, I've tried for three years, but it feels like 30. Later on in that song, he says, I tried for three years, it feels like 90. Now I'm sad and tired. I feel that I've, everything I've done, would, I, would the things I say or done matter anymore? You heard the song. But John 19, so they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the place of the skull. Verse 18, there they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Verse 19, and Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and Greek, so that many people could read it. And then, the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, change it from the king of the Jews to, he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate replied, no, what I have written, I have written. Now, I shared this before. I'm, I'm going to share it again, okay? Because I know that a number of you have not heard this. But you see how God works out the minute details of His plans. When, you, when you're walking in God's will, and even when things seem that it's not going right, God still works out His plans. The sign was written in three languages. Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. Now, this is what it would, the whole thing, Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, this is how it would look like. In Latin, in Greek, and in Hebrew. But of course, they had to chisel it. All right? They didn't have marker pens all place, huh? So they had to chisel it. But it's too long to be chiseled. So what they did was they would take the first letter of the words in the sentence, the first letter, and they would put the first letters together. And that's what they chiseled and put on the 
headboard above Jesus. So we look at this. This is the Latin. And if you take the first letters of the words, it spells I-N-R-I, Inri. And that is why if you see posters or pictures of Jesus on the cross, a crucifix, particularly coming from uh, Catholic artists, you would see this word on the cross. Have you seen this before? Inri? I-N-R-I. It's because it's taken from Latin. All right? I-N-R-I, Inri. So it's there over. So that's where it comes from, the first letter of the words. All right? But you see, to you and me, Inri means nothing. All right? And even to the Jews, it meant nothing because it's in Latin. They were not interested in Latin. Latin was the official language of the Roman Empire. All right? So they were not Romans. They were not interested. So, but the Catholic Church is the Roman Catholic Church. So they used the Latin. And that's why you have that over the head of Jesus, Inri. In all the Catholic paintings, even uh, the statues where they have the crucifix, the word Inri is there. Because they followed the Latin. Now, the interesting thing comes when we look at it in the Hebrew. Because the people there were, they were Jews. They only spoke Hebrew. So when you look at the Hebrew word, that entire word, you take the first letter of each word, this is what happens on the cross. Can you see that? If you take the first letter of every word, what was chiseled above the head of Jesus was Yahweh. That's the personal name of God. Now you understand why the Jewish leaders, religious leaders objected. They objected, no, we don't want this. Because for them, this is everything that they didn't want associated with Jesus. And it so happened, this was the name that was put above Jesus. Because, remember the lamb? Once the lamb was inspected and found to be without blemish, the name of the owner was put over the lamb. The lamb of God was inspected, found without blemish. The name of the owner was put over the lamb. Yahweh. Yahweh. That's the name of the owner. This was the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. No wonder the Jewish leaders, religious leaders, were livid. They wanted it changed. And Pilate says, what I have written, I have written. Now, I, this is what I want to say. Even in this little detail, God worked out the details. Even in this little thing, God worked out the details. God worked out the details to stamp mark, to rubber stamp that everything was going according to plan. That this wasn't God losing control. This wasn't about Jesus losing control. He was never a victim of circumstance. He was victor. Hallelujah. This was what happened that day as Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. All this was ahead of him. All this was about to happen, and Jesus knew it. 
He was ready. He was prepared. He wasn't walking into a trap. He was stepping into the plan and the will of God. It wasn't a trap for him. For the people who plotted, they may feel, ah, we got him now. Ah, we're going to get him now. That's what they thought. For Jesus, they're going to do this. I am coming for them. I'm coming into their presence. They're going to catch me. They're going to persecute me. They're going to put me to death. But that was why I came. That was why I came. So what are our take-homes? Just three short take-homes this morning. All right? Three short take-homes. Number one, for you and me, be focused, not frazzled. I've always continued to say this, and I will continue to say this to us as Christians. Knowing why you are here and knowing what it is God wants you to do is absolutely critical if you're a Christian. You know, before we became Christians, that's one of the things we were looking for. I, I don't know, I was, and I know many of you have this testimony that you were, you were looking for meaning and purpose to life. That is why we started looking for truth and looking for answers. And we came to Jesus and we found that Jesus is the answer. But many of us, after we come to know the Lord, we are still clueless about our purpose to living. Why God has called me. Why I am here. You know, in, in Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life, the first chapter is that question, isn't it? Why are we here? First question. That's the first question we need to ask ourselves. So this is the question we need to ask. Why are you here? What is it that God has assigned for you to do? When you know that, two things happen. It helps you to stay the course because you know, this is why I'm here. The moment his disciples deserted him, Jesus said, oh, after so many years of investing in them and this happens, it's not worth it. No. Jesus even told them, you're all going to go. You will all desert me. One of you will betray me. But he never detracted Jesus because he was focused on his calling. All right? It not only helps you stay the course, it helps you be more resilient. When you face issues, when you face trials, when you face persecution, when you face temptation, you've got to know your purpose. You've got to know it. And only then, you can stop living your life always wondering, always worried, always, you know, uh, on tender hooks, what's going to happen? How am I going to negotiate this? You, you, you don't need that anymore because you know. Number two, be confident, not confused. It's not just knowing why you are here and what it is you're supposed to do. It's knowing who you are. Knowing who you are is critical to your sense of security. It's critical to your sense of purpose. Who am I? I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. 
I'm a blood-bought child of God. That is who I am. I'm the child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if my existence is threatened, I know who I am. I know. And because I'm the child of God, I hold myself this way. I'm not confused. You know, before Pilate, Jesus looked at him. I mean, Pilate looked at him and Pilate had just said enough. He doesn't know what else to do with Jesus. And Pilate looked at him and finally, Pilate crooked a finger at him and said, Listen, do you not know that I have the power to put you to death, to crucify you or have you released? Don't you even know that? Why are you keeping quiet? And Jesus looks at Pilate and there was this calmness. And Jesus looked at Pilate and said, you have no power over me except that which is given to you from above. I can imagine Pilate, one hand, you know, want to threaten the next moment you have no power over me. And he didn't know what to do. That's what happens when you know who you are. When the enemy comes for you. When the enemy comes for you. When people desert you. When people betray you. When the enemy comes to, to put pressure on you. When the enemy tries to make things uncomfortable for you. You know who you are. You know who you are. And there's a sense of security and a sense of purpose. And finally, Christian, live as a victor, not as a victim. Because you are not a victim. So it's not just knowing who you are, but knowing whose you are. That I am not only a child of God, I belong to God. I belong to God. Bible says, don't you know you have been bought with a price? You are not your own. You are God's treasured possession. God paid a heavy Listen, the devil paid zip for you. You know that, right? The devil paid zip. He paid nothing for you. And yet he wants to claim you. And then here, God paid a heavy price for you. The sacrifice of His own Son so that He could have you for Himself. You are His treasured possession. To the devil, you are His plaything. You know what I mean? You are His plaything. He will use you and discard you. He has no feelings for you. God, you are His treasured possession. He paid a heavy price for you. He gave His Son up so that He could have you for Himself. And you belong to Him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? And once you know whose you are, your perspectives about life changes. You get your perspectives right. 
and it is this god to whom you belong he is the one who will work out the details in your life if he could work out all the little details for jesus as jesus was on the cross as he was going there he would work out the details for you but you need to walk in his ways you need to know your purpose know your calling know who you are know who you are and life can get pretty good let me tell you if you walk and live that way amen come on church life will be pretty good despite the trials despite everything your perspective shift i want your heads to be bowed jesus we want to thank you so much this morning thank you that you set your face like a stone like a flint to the purpose of god that you never flinched you never you were never detracted you were never disillusioned you always knew what your purpose was the scripture says for the joy that was set before him the joy of fulfilling your purpose and lord we stand before you with raised hands because lord we also want to stand in our purpose we want to walk we want to walk in your ways and ask you to work out your plans for our lives we want to live purposeful lives meaningful lives even as we walk into our own jerusalems we know that our the life the life ahead of us will be there will be potholes there will be things that would trip us up there will be things there lord that would try and trap us things lord that would try and tempt us and take us away from you but lord keep us focused keep us going give us a resilience help us to know that we no longer belong to the world or to the enemy we now belong to you give us clarity as to our calling and purpose that our lives will be lived out to great fulfillment and lord we would experience the joy of living for the master's purpose and this we ask in jesus precious name and all of god's people say amen